Welcome to Fracking and Health, Ask an Expert. The Endocrine Disruption Exchange has been studying the health impacts from unconventional oil and gas development, also known as fracking, since 2004. In each episode, our Executive Director, Carol Kwiatkowski, asks an expert to answer a question on how fracking may affect your health. You can submit a question at TEDx.org. Welcome to episode 11, where we ask, is road spreading of oil and gas wastewater safe? I'm talking today with Dr. William Burgos, professor in the Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering at Penn State University. He's done quite a lot of research on the environmental impacts of shale gas development, including a recent study on the practice of spreading oil and gas wastewater on roads for de-icing or dust suppression. Welcome, Dr. Burgos. Yeah, thank you for having me. Let's start with what is the definition of beneficial use of oil and gas wastewater and how common is the practice? So beneficial use applies generally to any waste material that instead of throwing it away could be useful in another application. And produced waters from oil and gas wells can be used for dust suppression on unpaved roads or for de-icing on paved roads. So how common is the practice? In the US, at least 13 states allow the beneficial use of oil and gas waste for road maintenance, dust suppression, or de-icing. Other beneficial use options for oil and gas produced water also include irrigation, livestock watering, stream flow augmentation, and industrial use. And in the research you're doing, what chemicals are you finding near roadways that have been treated with wastewater, and how could people be exposed to these chemicals? So to be clear, we have not collected samples from roads that have been treated with oil and gas produced water. Instead, in the summer of 2017, we collected 14 samples of conventional produced waters that were spread on roads, and we obtained 53 so-called certificates of analysis for produced waters that were approved for road applications in Pennsylvania and New York. For the 14 samples that we collected, we conducted a rather intensive chemical analysis measuring salts, hydrocarbons, metals, and radium. And from the 53 certificates of analysis, we could only compile what was reported uh, with each produced water. We found high concentrations of total dissolved solids, chloride, strontium, radium, and diesel range organics in these produced waters. So to evaluate what may be found near roadways, we conducted lab experiments with three of the produced waters and samples of road aggregate, road subgrade, and road ditch materials. In these experiments, we applied the produced water to the road material at an application rate similar to field conditions, dried the material, and then leached the material with synthetic rainwater. We then analyzed the rainwater leachate for all these contaminants of concern. And what we found was that many of the contaminants were not retained in the road materials at all. For example, all of the chloride, bromide, and sodium just washed right off. However, we also found that other contaminants were retained in the road. 
for example, iron and lead were essentially 100% retained in the road. Radium and diesel range organics were retained by 20 to 50%. Radium is of particular concern because it's known to cause cancer. Therefore, we did additional experiments where we ran multiple cycles of applying the produced water to the road materials followed by rainwater leaching. Roads in Pennsylvania are commonly treated with produced waters multiple times in the summer. And then from these experiments, we found that the road materials became saturated with relatively low concentrations of radium, meaning that all subsequent applications of the produced water, the radium there would not be retained in the road material and just run off with stormwater. Our next question then is, how might this affect human or ecological health? Yes, yeah, so it starts with pathways. So exposure pathways for this kind of practice would involve runoff of contaminants from the roads into surface or groundwater, and then uh, impacts on aquatic organisms in those receiving waters or impacts to humans if those receiving waters are used as a drinking water source. The other uh, essentially unexplored exposure pathway is if these contaminants do accumulate in the dust, in the road materials to some degree <clears throat> and uh, are then remobilized as dust particles from that road, there may be a uh, subsequent sort of secondary effect of contaminated dust landing on people's yards, porches, etc. So there are uh, multiple exposure pathways. As far as human or ecological health, I'll start with the ecological one where we used uh, an organism called Daphnia magna, or affectionately known as the water flea. It's a indicator organism for freshwater ecologic health used in uh, many studies and regulatory settings. And uh, it was no surprise that the exceptionally high salt concentrations of these fluids were quite harmful to the Daphnia, which is again our surrogate for uh, freshwater aquatic health, so definitely affect there. As far as human health, we got uh, what I would consider fairly sophisticated in <clears throat> the analyses that we did where we used bioreceptor assays that use human cells to measure a specific type of response. And in this particular case, we found uh, an uptick in a receptor for hydrocarbon metabolism. And so your body responds to the contaminant by upregulating uh, activity or proteins in your body that can degrade hydrocarbons. That upregulation of activity has been linked to cancer. So there are issues uh, with organic contaminants in these waters that could potentially cause uh, cancer. 
and clearly the radium that's in these fluids, a known carcinogen. Definitely some reasons for concern. Can you talk about what protections are currently in place and what you think should be in place? Well, currently these beneficial use programs work in a way that is uh, primarily regulated at the state level. And if an industry or uh, in this case, potentially a township wants to use a waste material for a beneficial use application, they have to uh, get that material approved. That involves, in the case of produced waters from oil and gas wells, doing a certain amount of chemical analysis and then submitting it as, as part of the certificate of analysis, requesting uh, approval to use that material. Now, what we found through our compilation of these 53 certificates of analysis that we were able to obtain is that the list of chemical parameters is not consistent between states, sometimes not consistent within states, is fairly limited and in all of the 53 cases, never was radium measured. And that's a concern because produced waters from oil and gas wells are known to be radiogenic and it's something that we should be looking at. And so with respect to what standards should be applied, there is an industrial wastewater discharge limit of 60 picocuries per liter for radium. So that might be a reasonable request for uh, a treatment level before these materials are used or spread on roads. The other thing that those bioreceptor assays did is they showed uh, a causation between the diesel range organics and the gas range organics that are in these fluids and that xenobiotic uh, human cell-based response. And so we would also suggest that the level of those organic constituents could also be limited to some industrial wastewater discharge limit, for example, 10 milligrams per liter of those materials. So I want to thank you. A very comprehensive research program you have here, and we appreciate the work you do, and, and thank you very much for your time and telling us about it. Yes, thank you for the invitation. Thank you for listening. TEDx is a nonprofit research institute funded by grants from private foundations and by donations from individuals who care about our health and the environment. Visit our website at tedx.org for more information on what we do, to submit a question for an expert, or to make a donation.